listening in. We're glad to have you on 102.3 FM, and I understand we have a very good signal, and you need to let Brother David Higgs know he put a lot of hours into that to make that happen today. So thank you, David, and for those of us on the radio, I know you appreciate that very much. And for those of you on Facebook Live, yay, you are here too, and we are glad that you are here, and uh, thank you so much for coming. I want to encourage you to get your device out and look at the uh, worship event so you can follow along the sermon that way, and of course, later on on YouTube, you can do that also out throughout the whole week. But listen, we are finished with our series, um, Facing Down Fear, and we're now moving into a series entitled Days of Elijah. It's a great follow-up to what we've been talking about over the last several weeks as we enter into this season that we are in. It's just a great time of follow-up right now to this. And so so I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 1 Kings, and we're going to look back at a story. Now, I really I want you to know something. I was really conflicted with this. I really was. Um, this would be a scripture that would be very easy to bring things into the 20, you know, 2020 that maybe would not exactly apply. And I don't want to mishandle the word of God. So I want to say it this way, that the circumstances are not exactly the same, but the environment is. The circumstances are not exactly the same. We would be wrong to take this verse by verse and say this applies to 2020. But the environment definitely Fits. It's almost like, you know, you see someone approaching the Christmas season and if they say it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I think there's a song, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Well, these are beginning to look like the days of Elijah. And as God leads us through these, this series is more for us as a church preparing us not only to continue through these days that we're living in, but what comes after but what comes after, okay? So our scripture comes from 1 Kings 17 and verse number 1. 1 Kings 17 and verse 1. And we're going to see the principal players of the story that's going to take place over the next six, seven, eight weeks um, as we study the life of Elijah. It says there, um, Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said Ahab. And there we see our two principal players. We see a guy named Elijah, and then we also hear a guy named Ahab. And you know, Elijah is so unusual because he just explodes onto the scene. Um, so often, like with David, we have the son of Jesse, we have all of that. Not with Elijah. Elijah, he simply burst onto the scene as an ordinary man. And that's the first point. The point is that God is calling us to be like Elijah. But Elijah was an ordinary man willing to trust an extraordinary God. He was an ordinary man willing to trust an extraordinary God. So, so we know very few things. We know his name was Elijah, which by the way means Yahweh is my God. We know that he was from the Gilad settlers, which was a war, uh, wilderness area. Okay. We know that much about him. We know he was regular, a rugged individual. Um, he had a stern character, but he was zealous. For God. He was zealous for God. Now, if you know your Bible, that may sound like somebody else. And that somebody else is a guy named John the Baptist. In fact, uh, over in Matthew chapter, excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 19 through 21, we, we fast forward into the New Testament. They're wondering, who is this guy? Who is this John the Baptist? And we know him as the preparer of the way. But in John 1, 19, they, it says this. Um, this was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? Who are you? Well, he didn't deny it, but confessed, Well, I'm not the Messiah. But what then? They asked, Are you Elijah? He said, No, 
I'm not Elijah. But the truth is, John the Baptist was so much like Elijah, people constantly compared to Elijah. Um, he dressed and ate like Elijah. Now, don't want to spill my beans too quick with that, okay? But over in Matthew 3, 4, it says, John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist for food. He ate locust and wild honey. So a lot of that lines up with the prophet Elijah. But what really lined up was his message. His message. Here's what Matthew 3, 1 says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah. And here was his message saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So we had this man showing up on the scene out of nowhere, okay? He's zealous for God. His name means Yahweh is my God, and he's ready to do what God wants him to do. But then we've got this other guy, and this other guy is Ahab. Now, Ahab, you know, we know a lot about him, unfortunately, and none of it is good. I mean, none of it is good. Now, let me pause here. Because in the days of Elijah, I said the circumstances are not all the same, but the environment is. Let me set the stage for the days of Ahab. Ahab was, comes from a long lineage of kings, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But in the time of, of Ahab being the king, well, it lists things like this. Um, unprecedented political stability. In other words, there was peace at every border. Um, there was a strength in prosperity. They had a very strong economy, Brent. Things were going well economically. Does that ring a bell? Was it before all this crisis? We talked about the stock market in February is at 29,000, the highest it had ever been. It was amazing. Okay, that. It was on and it says they had a strong military presence. There was a building boom going on. So, so the setup is this. Things were good in the culture. Things were good in the culture. But Ahab, Ahab was one of the most evil men who ever lived. Listen to these words that the Bible says about Ahab. In 1 Kings 16.30, it says this. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Well, we hear that about the kings a whole lot. You know, that's, that's pretty common with the kings of Israel. But then listen to the rest of the verse. More than all who were before him. So Ahab was a leader that was more evil than all the other leaders before him. Because it's kind of funny. In verse 25 of 1 Kings 16 of, of his dad, Omri, it says, Omri was worse than everybody. And then just five or six verses later comes his son. And the Bible says, and he was worse than that. I mean... I wouldn't mind being mentioned in the Bible, but can you imagine being mentioned for how bad that you were? How bad that you were. It goes on and says this in 1 Kings 16, 31. Then, if following the sin of Jeroboam, son Nebat was not enough, and, and he was the one in interest, uh, instituted uh, Azra worship in Israel. And I said, well, what is an Azra pole? I've heard several things of what it was, but actually it was a tree that represented the tree of life. Now listen, this is important. Azra was the goddess and the mother, they believe, of Baal. And Baal's going to play a big part in this story. Okay? So, so it wasn't enough then if following the sin of Jeroboam, son Nebat was not enough. He married Jezebel. Now, how many of you named your kid Jezebel? Oh, yeah, this is my daughter Jezebel. No, man, she represents so much, again, so much of evil, we don't name our kids after her. He's, she was the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidons, and then proceeded to serve Baal and worship him. 
So we have, we have Ahab, and Ahab is sitting there. He's evil, and if that wasn't enough, he goes and marries the most evil woman that you've ever seen in the culture. And then it goes on in 1 Kings 16.33. It says this, Ahab did more to anger the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who went before him. So we have two men. We have Elijah, who is zealous for the Lord. We have Ahab, who is the exact opposite. Now, to bring this in the 20th century, to make the environment what it needs to be for us, let's do this. Let's let Elijah not represent one man, but a group of people, the church. Let's, let's imagine that God is calling his church to be a voice in the wilderness. Let's imagine that God is calling his church to be a people in these difficult days that we are living in. You know what? We can do that scripturally. We can do that scripturally. And let's, let's don't let Ahab represent a politician, okay? We can do that so easily. You know, let's don't let Ahab represent a man. Let's let Ahab represent culture. Because you know what? American culture is a lot like Ahab was. We, are, we have a culture that's polytheistic, a culture of many gods. You say, really, Dwayne? Oh, yeah, yeah. We don't have too many idols on the shelf, but we have idols in our garage, we don't have idols on a shelf, but we have idols at an address. We don't have, we don't have idols um, on a shelf, but we got idols that we pick up clubs and play with or boats that we drive or, or things like that. You know, we have so many different gods in America, it's very easy to say it's a polytheistic society. So let's let Ahab represent the culture. And we have watched, and you, we have watched as God has slowly and slowly and slowly been pressed further to the edge. That's exactly what's happened. So we got Elijah, the man of God, Ahab, the godless man. And the Bible goes on and says then, in verse number, uh, verse, well, let's get the slide. I'm sorry. Let's get the slide in first. It says, two men could not have been more different. The stage was set for a cosmic battle or conflict. Light versus darkness, good versus evil, false gods of the region, or the one true God. Yet the decision was never in doubt. The contest was no contest. So Elijah shows up on the scene out of nowhere. He walks right into the palace. And boy, that was a dangerous thing to do. He walks right into the palace. And here's what Elijah says. As the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these days except by my command. He walks into Ahab's palace and says, here's the word. It will not have any dew or any rain for these years until I say so. Now, you've got to understand something. Elijah was not speaking for himself. He was speaking for God Almighty. And let me just tell you this, too. The church has got to be careful. In these days, listen, it doesn't matter that some preacher gets up and says, the preacher said, and you tell you, the preacher said, or it really doesn't matter what the people say. The people say, what matters today in this culture is what God Almighty says. We are representatives of God, and we really need to be speaking what God says. Now, now here's the deal. The basis for this, how do we know what's going on? How did Elijah know it was time? Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, and verse number 16, it says this. Now, now Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. The second giving of the law. Okay, so Moses is speaking. Here's what he says. Be careful that you do not entice to turn aside, serve and bow and worship other gods. 
He tells the children of Israel, now listen, the second time I've said this to you, is the second given of the law, do not worship other gods. Then, if you do, then the Lord's anger will burn against you. Remember how he described Ahab? He said that the Lord's anger burned, the Lord's anger burned against him. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and watch, watch. He will shut down the sky, and there will be no rain. The land will not yield its produce, and you will quickly perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. God said, if you choose to worship other gods, then I'm going to shut down the sky, I'm going to shut down the rain, and because you're a a country of farmers, I'm going to shut down your economy, and you'll quickly perish from this prosperous land that you have. See, we love to see God as a God of love. I love this last song. That was a new song, okay? That, you know, how great is his love? How great? And I am such a big proponent of, proponent of God's love. How great is his love? But here's what we've got to understand. Not only is he a God of love, he's a God of justice. He cannot, we cannot just take the love side of God and totally ignore the just side of God. He is God just. And just as sure as his love is, so is his justice. Now, listen. This is where, listen. Somebody, I'm I'm waiting for it to explode on the internet. It hadn't happened yet. Dwayne, two things. Uh, Dwayne, do do you think this whole deal is a sign of God's punishment on the world? I don't know. Could it be? I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Dwayne, is this a sign of the end times? I don't know. I mean, you know, the Bible's pretty clear. Things, strange things are going to happen. And I love it because we watch the news and here we keep hearing, we have never seen this before. We have never seen this before. We have never endured this before. We have never seen the economy shut down. We've never seen this pandemic. We've never seen, we've never seen. We've never, could, could it be a sign of the end time? Yeah, yeah, I guess it could be. But let me tell you what I'm certain that it is. I am certain that God is doing his best to get our attention. I am certain God is doing his best to get our attention. If God was a texter, if God sent text messages, he would be, cap- he would be typing in all caps. And he would be shouting, in case you don't know, in case you're not a texter, you don't type in all caps because that means you're shouting. Well, God would be typing in all caps and he would be typing this, Come home! Come home! Home, God loves you and God wants you to come home to Him. He gave the cross, this, this cross where His Son died, that people could come home. And I don't, listen, I don't care how bad the world is, I don't know how bad the culture is, I'm telling you, God loves you and wants you to come home. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So, so this culture that was in, where God sends his just judgment because he's a just God. But he's also a God of love. And God wants you to come home. So after Elijah delivers this message to Ahab, the most evil man in, in the country at that time, the leader there, and that represents our culture, he leaves that, then God speaks again. Now look what he says. This is where it gets interesting. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said this, leave here, turn eastward, and hide. 
Leave here, turn eastward, and hide. Hide? Hide? Wait, wait, wait. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, we are victorious. Hide? Well, don't you mean attack? Don't you mean, don't you mean go? But you said hide? What's up with that? What's up with that? Okay, church, hear me. What's up with that is that God was ready, but Elijah wasn't. See, we... We have got to allow God to prepare us for the mission that he has for us. And that might, it might mean some time in quarantine, Brent. It might be some time for us to slow down and refocus and reconcentrate on what God is doing in our midst. It might be that. In this case, God says, I want you to go and I want you to hide. See, he, he knows you better than you know you. See, I often, you know, I get too big for my pants and I think I can do something. Judy will tell you, I'm, I, you know, I still walk a lot and I walk two and a half miles a day and I'll go out there and I'll, I'll take two weeks off and I get out there and try to walk as fast as I possibly can and my legs hurt and my knees hurt, and my feet hurt. And she goes, why were you walking fast? Because that's what men do. We can do anything. We're invincible. We're invincible. Well, God knows us. And God knows to really be effective in this time, Robin, we need a time of preparation. Elijah needed a time of preparation. So he says, I want you to go and I want you to hide. It's real common. God does it all the time. Do you know Moses? Moses, as you know, lived 120 years. Okay? And for the first 40 years, he was in the house of Pharaoh. I mean, you know, as he lived as the son of Pharaoh and he lived in opulence and wealth and all those things, all the things that Pharaoh could offer. He, he lived at a time where he gained great schooling, great wisdom, great leadership school, uh, leadership skills. And then God did something. God moved him out. You know, Moses takes things in his own hand. He kills an Egyptian, works to get back to Pharaoh and runs him out of the country. And guess what? Are you ready for this? For the next, somebody say it with me, 40 Years. Forty. You know, we can blame. Can I, can I be honest with you? I'm complaining. I said, Judy, I'm tired of this mess. I am ready for life to be back to where it was. I want to be able to go to the restaurant. Brent, I want to go back to the restaurant. I want to be able to eat. I don't want to eat in my car. We stopped at Steak and Shake yesterday and had a hamburger and french fries in my car and ooze is goozing everywhere and french fries are flying everywhere. I want to sit down at a table at a restaurant and eat. I just got to trust God that he knows what he's doing. I complained about three weeks. Moses spent 40 years in the wilderness. You know what God was doing? God spent 40 years and put good stuff in him, leadership and things like that. But also living in Pharaoh's house, he got some junk. He got some God junk. You know, they worship all kinds of gods. He got a bunch of junk, pride, arrogance. He got that in there. Okay, so now God spends the next 40, day, 40 years... Okay, getting the bad stuff out and leaving the good stuff in and putting some new stuff in. And then God spent the next 40 years and he was leading the nation of Israel. 40, 40, and 40. And that's, we find this in Acts chapter 7, verse 30. After 40 years had passed, um, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. 
after the time of preparation where God took this stuff and took it out of him, left the good stuff, after 40 years, he was ready to use him. You know, I, I, I use this verse a lot. But the nation of Israel, you know, remember they leave Pharaoh, you know, they leave Egypt? Listen to this. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, although it was nearby. You know, we would have said, hey, let's go the quick path. You know, we, we don't want to take the long path. Let's get to where we're going. It's like men. You know, men, you, you know, the word bathroom and man driving do not go together. Honey, we have to go to stop and go to the restroom. No, we can do it. We can go on. We can drive eight hours without stopping. We want to take the, long, the quick way and get there. Well, God said, no, no. He did not lead them along the road to the land of Philistines, even though it's nearby. For God said, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. The people were ready. So God took them a longer route rather than a shorter route to prepare them. Even the Apostle Paul. The great Apostle Paul. Listen to this. Galatians 1.17 Paul says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Then after three years, someone say three years. Now, now, now Paul was a zealot. He was, he, before he got saved, he was a zealot to kill Christians. And when he became a Christian, he was a zealot for Jesus. He was a doer. He was, let's go and get her done. He spent three years, I did not go. After three years, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Cephas. Most theologians agree that it was 15 years. Somebody say 15 years. 15 years for the guy who wrote most of the New Testament was really full in ministry. Why? God was preparing him. God was preparing him. Church, God is preparing us for something big. God is preparing us. For something big. Brandon Cox. And Brandon Cox is the preacher I started following. Oh, just about three or four, five, six months ago. He thinks like I do. He writes like I do. A simple, you know, real simplistic kind of guy. And, and Brandon Cox says this. God will allow some hard things to happen around you. Has that happened? Gone through some hard things? Going through some hard things? Outside the coronavirus, have you gone through some hard things? Yeah. Yeah, we've gone, we gone through hard things. Yeah, yeah. Well, God will allow some hard things to happen around you so he can develop some good things within you. See, we grow stronger in our faith in the difficult times. We grow stronger in our faith in the difficult times, not the easy times. So Brandon Cox says he'll allow these difficult things to happen to develop some good things within you. Now watch, watch. To prepare you for the awesome things still ahead of you. Hey, the best days of the church are probably right around the corner. And what we do now in these times of crisis will determine how much God can use us in those coming days. These are not days to slough off. These aren't days to be spiritually lazy. These are days to be strong. These are days to allow God to prepare us for what he has for us. So, in that sense, in the second part of verse number three, here's what God says. So I want you to leave. I want you to go hide. Where are we going to hide at, God? We're going to hide at the Wadi Cherith where it enters the Jordan. We're going to hide at the Wadi Cherith where it enters the Jordan. It's a geographical statement, okay? You know, Elijah would have known this creek, this brook, okay? So I want you to go there. But what is interesting is, is the word Cherith. You know what it means? It means to whittle or cut off. To whittle 
to cut off. Elijah is being sent to Cherith so God can whittle on him and cut off some things that he cut off. See, often in preparation, it can be a painful time. It can be a time. You know, God, you say, you often say, well, what is God doing in my life? What God is doing in your life, he's knocking off all the things that don't look like Jesus. Don't be conformed to this world, Romans chapter 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, he's working. And Romans chapter 8, verse 29, you know, that he, we are predestined to be like his son. So God is working in our lives and knocking off the things that don't look like Jesus. That's what he's doing. So God sends Elijah to Cherith, where he can work on him and win on him and cut off the things that need to go and give the chance that that need to grow, things that need to grow, to grow there. You know, in John chapter 15, verse 2, Jesus said, Every branch in me that does not produce good fruit, he removes. But he prunes every branch that produces fruit so it can produce more fruit. Hey, can I ask you a question? Is it possible God's just preparing us for more fruit? Is it possible that God is preparing us? It's been so long since the last national revival. Is it possible that God is preparing us for the next great revival, giving us the privilege in the year 2020 to be a part of the biggest thing he's done in a while? Well, you get there, he's going to show the lessons. He's going to show us, you know, right now there's a new kind of learning going on. We're not sitting in classrooms. We're doing it on the line. So, so God gives Elijah a glimpse of what he's going to do. Here's how he's going to do it. You are to drink from the wadi. How practical is that? There's a, there's a brook there, and I want you to drink from the brook. Now, here's what's here's what interesting. That is a seasonal brook. In other words, it has a season. It's going to run for a while, but as things get drier and drier and drier, eventually the brook is going to stop. Now, if God leads Elijah to the brook, then after the brook dries up, what's he going to do? He's going to lead him somewhere else. God puts seasonal brooks into our lives. And this is not, I say it again still, I don't know what the new normal is, but this did not come to stay, it has come to pass. And God's going to lead us to a new brook when this brook, this season, dries up. You know, Gene and I have been doing some hiking. It's about the only thing we can do these days. You can't go eat. We already talked about that. Can't go on vacation. Can't do this and you can't do that. Well, you can still hike, at least in the National Forest. You can't hike in the, in the State Forest, but you can hike in the National Forest. But we went down to Crab, uh, Devil's Kitchen down by Crab Orchard. And three weeks ago, we went. And it was a Sunday afternoon, if I remember, or Saturday afternoon. And we got there, and man, there's this waterfall. I mean, it's like way cool. It rained a couple of days before, and it, the water was just flowing over. Fell about 30 feet, I think, Judy, somewhere in there. It's just beautiful. It's magnificent. We're all going, oh, how beautiful, how wonderful. Well, we liked it so much, we decided to go back again. So last weekend, we drove down there again. And there's also wildflowers to see. We wanted to see the wildflowers. And we got there, and that big, beautiful waterfall had gone down to a little trickle. Just trickle, trickle, trickle. And so then, you know, this yesterday, we said, well, let's go again, you know. And we got there, and guess what? The waterfall was bone dry. Bone dry. You know why? It's a seasonal waterfall. It flows only when it rains. It flows when it rains. So, so when, in a practical way, God sends Elijah... Oh, this is pretty good. This just popped in my brain. Okay? God sends Elijah to Wadi, okay, the Wadi Cherith, and says this. Now, we're going to go there, but it's not your permanent home. I'm not going to stick to you on the backside of the desert forever. I've got a season, a new season coming for you. And you need to hear that today. 
You know, if your career changed, if your life has radically changed, you just need to understand this, that that's not a new residence for you. God has a new season coming for you. So, so he says, you are to drink from the wadi. And here's where it gets really weird. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So here's the deal. So naturally, practically, we've got the wadi. We've got the cherub, okay? We're going to have water for a season. And then the birds, the ravens. And by the way, interesting enough, the commentary said how ravens won't even take care of their young. Won't even take care of their young. Yet God instructs those selfish birds to give to the prophet. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So, so I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. And what's the lesson here? It's the faithfulness of God. Uh, we'll expound on it in just a few minutes, but it's the faithfulness of God. But now here's the deal. Here's the deal. The menu wasn't very good. Remember we talked about how John the Baptist ate, what, locusts and wild honey? Okay, well, in, in the verse that comes up in verse number, I think it's verse 6, you know, the, it says, and the ravens bought bread. Well, shoot, I'll tell you what I, I thought. I said, I can just see it now. They run down to the bakery, and they get Elijah a big old loaf of bread, and they bring it down. It's warm. He's got hot butter on it, you know. And I said, well, that's good stuff, man. you got water. you got hot bread to eat. That's not exactly right. The word bread means food in general, Okay? So here's probably the way it played out. And matter of fact, it's a real strong problem the way it played out. Okay? The ravens would have done what ravens do. They'd have gone and found some berries and brought Elijah some berries. And then they'd have gone and brought some seeds and brought seeds. And then they would have come and brought maybe some nuts. Some nuts. And it does say meat, so he may have had a rat every once in a while. I mean... It wasn't hot bread from the bakery. It was from the nature, <laughs> whatever they could find to eat. It'd be awfully easy for Elijah to say, I don't like this. You know, my dad used to, don't you? I didn't like yellow squash. He made me sit there for an hour one, one time. Whole hour looking at that squash. He's looking at me and I was looking at squash. I finally ate the squash. Well, Elijah could say, hey, God, hey, God, this isn't good. This is seeds and nuts, okay? And, and a dead mouse, really? Don't we do that with God? See, that's the, what's what doubt and that's what fear. We could become discontented with the ways of God. Amen? Discontented with the ways of God. And so we start complaining to God. Again, I need to tell you, this week I said, I'm tired of this. It's time for this to be over. Let me tell you when this is going to be over. When God says, it's not when President Trump does, gets it right or Pritchard gets it wrong, okay? It's when God says, this is God's. This whole deal is God's. He's the master of the clock. He's the master of the clock. So he sends him there and he gets the water from that and he gets this stuff from the ravens. You know, the Bible says in Philippians 4, 19, it says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in his glory. glory. Do you believe that? And he doesn't give you all your wants. He gives you your needs. The lesson for us is that our God is sufficient. And he'll meet our needs. He'll take care of his kids. He may use another Christian. He may use a stimulus check. But God will take care of our needs. You know, I wrote this. I wrote it very carefully. Within God's will, God always provides. Because see, 
Well, you know, I had to add that in there, Brent. Within God's will, God always... Because we do some stupid things. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm going to say it anyway. I love these car commercials. You know, if you need a new car, we're going to give you payment relief for six months. Let me just tell you, let me help you here. If you need payment relief, you don't need to buy a car. Let me just tell you, you don't need to buy a car. Okay? And if you need 84 months to pay for it, you probably don't need that car. You probably don't need that car. Okay? So, so within God's will, He will provide. He'll provide. But not when we go outside of His will. And then we, all, we try to give God the tab, and He goes, Hey, you created this, not me. Okay? So with, within God's will, God will always provide. It just might look a little different than we had in mind. It might be seeds and nuts and fruit and a dead mouse or two. But God will provide. Well, it goes on. So Elijah proceeded to do what the Lord commanded. He proceeded to do what the Lord commanded. Obedience is so important. So, verse number five, the second part. Elijah left and lived at Wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. Now, what does that mean? Elijah was willing to stay at Wadi Cherith until God said, okay. Are you willing to stay where God's put you till he says move? Are you willing to stay where God puts you until he says move? That's faith. That's faith. Dwayne, does that mean it's easy? Mm-hmm. Well, it might be hard. Mm-hmm. But are you willing to trust God until he says move? A.W. Tozer said this. It's important that we get still to wait on God. Elijah was still at Wadi Cherith waiting on God. You know, Psalm 46.10 says, Stop striving. Stop striving and know that I am God. Stop striving and know that I am God. And then he goes on and says, after he says that, it's important that we get still and wait on God, and it's best that we get along, preferably with our Bible outspread before us. That's good advice. That's good advice. In the stillness of the moment, we stop striving and can I make a suggestion? You know, have y'all noticed the news is just a little bit negative? Am I the only one that's noticed that? Let me, let me, let me make a formula for you. For every um, hour you spend watching the news, spend an hour in the Word of God. It might just change your life. A.W. Tozer also said this. Tozer said, you know, in thy presence, silence best becomes us. We think prayer is talking God's ear off. Sometimes it's just being still and being quiet. Well, verse 6, the ravens kept, now watch, the ravens kept bringing. Say it with me. Kept bringing. The ravens kept bringing. They brought him bread. There's that word. It means food. Bread and meat in the morning and the evenings he would drink from the wadi. Now listen, this is not about the menu. This is about God's faithfulness. See, we think, we, we want to dictate the menu that God gives us and then expect Him to be faithful to our interpretation of the menu. Okay? It's not about that. It's about God's faithfulness. So every morning, every morning, Elijah would wake up. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Every morning, Elijah would wake up and he would go and get a drink from the wadi, from Cherith. Okay? And all of a sudden, these ravens would show up. Okay, and they would come and land somewhere near him and they'd drop off nuts and seeds and fruit 
maybe a mouse or two. And that was Elijah's meal. And, and he said, hmm, how about that? So that evening, he goes and gets a drink at, at the Wadi Chera, and he drinks again. He goes over, and he's standing there, and these birds show up in the evening. And they bring seeds, and they bring fruit and nuts, maybe a mouse or two. And he goes, hmm. About day three, he says to himself, he goes out there and gets the water, and it's getting drier and drier around him, and he's still got water to drink, and these birds come and drop off the seeds and the nuts and the fruit and an occasional mouse or two. And he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is faithful. God is good. God can be trusted. And that's it. Every day, when the, all of a sudden the menu didn't matter. All of a sudden the menu didn't matter. All of a sudden the menu didn't matter. What mattered was God is faithful. And in this crisis we're in, it's not the menu that matters. It's that God is faithful. And he learned that over time. And you know, you know the great part? God stayed faithful. Just like the children of Israel, you know, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, you know, again, Moses, the second given the law, says, He humbled you by letting you go hungry, but then he gave you manna to eat, which your fathers had never known, you had never known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. God is faithful. God is good. God can be trusted. It's not the menu. It's the faithfulness of God. That's what it was all about. See, Elijah was going to really need to know that God was faithful. He's going to face 450 prophets plus a bunch more. He's, he's going to face a bout with depression like some of us have never experienced. He's going to run as far as he could run with suicide on his mind. And he needed to know something. That God is faithful. It's not the menu that matters. It's that God is faithful. We don't know how long that Elijah stayed at Cherif. We do not know. But eventually the season came to an end because it says in verse number seven, chapter 17, verse 7, after a while, we don't know how long, after a while the wadi dried up. The season came to an end. And I'm going I'm I'm to be a betting Baptist this morning. I bet, I bet Elijah didn't go, that's just like, that's just like God, Dave. He gives and he takes away. He said he would take care of me. No, you know what he said? For these days, however it was, every morning, every night, God met my needs. And if God did that for all these days, I bet tomorrow he's got a plan. And guess what? He does. He does. So don't get hung up on the menu. Don't think that your interpretation of how God needs to act in your life is the only one. It's not even the best one. You know why? Because God's smarter than us. God knows. God is faithful. God is good. God can be trusted. So if you're here today and, and you've never experienced this this wonderful cross where Jesus bled and died that we could have forgiveness of sins. See, it's not about a church and a steeple. And it's not about going to church. It's not about getting religion. It's not about performing for God. It's about grace. 
And if you've never experienced this marvelous grace, I've given my number out three times in a row, and I'm going to make it four. 499-0070. And I would love to share with you about God's amazing grace, about a man named Jesus who loves you so much that he bled and died for you, for you, that you could have forgiveness of sins and come into the family of God. If you're willing to believe and turn from your sin and follow Jesus, then you can have eternal life. How cool is that? And if you're, if you're out there today on Facebook or on the radio, or maybe you're in the room, you know, you need to understand it's not about the menu. Trust God. Even if it's, Brent, even if it's not Chick-fil-A, even if it's not Chick-fil-A, if it's nuts and seeds and fruit and an occasional mouse, listen, if God sends it your way, it's good. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. We can trust Him. Let's pray together. Father, I sure thank You for the privilege of sharing this day, and I, and I pray through the Holy Spirit it made sense. I really do. God, our culture is a mess. It was a mess before the coronavirus, and it's a mess afterwards. But what an opportunity in the darkness for the light of the world to shine. And you have entrusted your church with the privilege of sharing that light. So may we be the light of Christ. If there's someone here today or listening on the radio or listening on Facebook Live who has never received Jesus Christ, never experienced that grace and that forgiveness, Perhaps they're wandering around, bumping into the walls in the darkness of life. And today you want to bring light into their lives. I pray they put their faith and trust in you even today. And for our church family, Father, as you have entrusted with us this season of craziness, we know you're in control and you're in charge. Help us not to get weary in well-doing. Help us to trust you because we know you're preparing us for a new season, something greater and bigger than we can ever imagine. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.